The passion of our Lord Jesus Christ, beginning in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see some miracle performed. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then have him released. With one voice, they cried out, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, he spoke to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they had asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Then people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine, vinegar, and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him. He said, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was now the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. The centurion seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. For all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Sometimes when we hear the reading of that story, for those of us who have vivid imaginations, we can perceive or grasp in some measure what really went on. We have seen movies, some of us, that have in a director's, with a director's eye or a writer's touch tried to describe to us based on the accounts that we read in Scripture, what might have happened that day. And yet, in, even in those depictions and in those stories, I don't think any of us fully grasp the day that we sit here and remember. We try, and we should. And yet, I don't think until that day when we fully understand or know and see, will we fully realize the magnitude, not just on earth, but in heaven, in all time and space, what this day represents. Yet we try to do so today. We try to do so tonight in reflection and memory. It's an interesting thing that we call this day Good Friday, isn't it? When we hear the story, 
at least when we hear the story and stop where we stopped, it's not quite good. And purposefully tonight, we stop there so that we linger longer than we might on what Christ has done for us on the cross. When we read this account and truly take it in, it should not be so good. Angry, unforgiving mobs releasing a murderer to kill a righteous and awesome man. People ridiculing, mocking this man. His betrayal. His betrayal, not just by people who don't know him, but by his best friends. His abandonment, not just by his friends, but by his Father in heaven. The cruelty of his torture, we touch on it in this passage of Scripture that we just heard, but when you read the rest of the Gospels and then do the study on your own of what flogging and crucifying a person was like, I can't even take it in. One movie depicted it, and I had to watch the movie like this because it was so gruesome. The self-righteousness of his accusers and the loneliness of his death. This is a dark hour. Some have re-titled this day, not Good Friday, but Dark Friday. And it was a dark Friday indeed. Even darker is the day if we reflect on it in our lives as people that can identify with those who were around him that day. We are made, aren't we, like his betraying friends? We as people have the capacity to be cruel, mean, vindictive, just like those in that hour. And we're definitely no less self-righteous, are we? We have the capacity within us to point a finger. We might have even pointed a finger today. And we also know that death, the death that he faced, the death that he endured, that death chases us as well. A power so strong that we experience it or feel it or even fear it within us. A power that Paul even himself talks about in his, in his declaration that it causes us to do and to act and think in ways that we would not want to act or think or do. Death. It sits out there and it waits for us. It takes the best from among us. It is not what we want, but it happens to us all. What do we know about death? After all, tonight we come remembering not so much the life of Christ. We've talked about that in our church for the last couple of weeks. But we come tonight to remember his death. What is it about death that brings us to a fixated stare, to a long pause? Because it's cruel. I opened 
up Google News today just to write today's events, today's events about death, and this is what I saw. I saw the grieving parents of hundreds of high schoolers who were buried in the tomb of a ferry off the coast of Korea two days ago. I saw the memorial of the slain police officer remembered from a year ago and reminded of the bombings that took place the bombings that took place just a year ago here in our city i saw the news account of an earthquake size 7.2 on the seismic richter scale in mexico city i saw the murder of 30 to 40 in sudan I was reminded of the war that's brewing in Ukraine. I heard an ambulance pass by as I was reading the news. I thought about those that I know that have died and passed before me. Death is before us every day, isn't it? It's not a respecter of persons. It takes the young. It takes the old. As a youth pastor, I've seen students that I dearly love die right before my eyes. It's not a respecter of those who are good or those who are bad. Those we consider good die. Those that we think are evil die. Sometimes in the same day. Sometimes in the same hospital. We're reminded how unpredictable, how pursuing, how cruel death can be. And for many of us, it brings fear. It brings fear. We run from it. We hide from it. We try to ignore it. We try not to think of it. As a matter of fact, there might be some of you in the room that are thinking, could you just please stop talking about death? We don't like to think about it. We are not sure if we will experience life here like we want. And for some of us, we're sure that we're not. Yet we're also not sure what will happen to us when we die. Or at least some of us are not. So some ignore signs. Some block out events and go on until we're reminded again. The problem is we're reminded again often. Yet this we know as we turn to the word of God. Physical and spiritual death live in us and in this world because of sin. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All, every single person, every person who's ever been born, who is alive and who will ever be born, will sin. It's in us all. It's in the Pope. It was in Gandhi. It was in Mother Teresa. It's in your mom. It's in your best friend. We all, good as we want to be, have within us that propensity, that nature to sin. And the Bible goes on to say that the wages or the price or the penalty of that sin is death. It's what we're talking about, that sin in and of itself brings death upon us. It destroys us, both while we're living and leads us to the grave. But Romans six twenty three doesn't just say that the penalty of our sin is death. It goes one step further and says, but 
but the gift of God. The gift of God in our sin is eternal life through who? Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We know this about sin, that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, James says this, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to what? To death. To death. Sin keeps us separated from God, both now and for eternity. And we can't say, well, I was just born that way. Therefore, I have excuse. The reality is we were born that way, yet without excuse. And why are we born without excuse? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus gives us an opportunity to be free from that which we were born into. Sin and death. How is that? How is it that we can be free from the power of sin, from the power that, that, that fear of death brings upon us, from the power of death itself? It's Jesus. And that is why this is not just a dark Friday, but it is a good Friday. How in the midst of reading this story and thinking about the events and thinking about this wonderful, righteous, good man who worked miracles, who forgave, who loved who lived a life of mercy and grace, but then was killed by people just like you and me. If we would have been there, chances are we would have been a part of that mob saying, give us Barabbas. And yet Jesus faced death for you and me. Hebrews says that since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, slavery by the fear of death. So when I talked about the fear of death or about the, 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 the pursuit of death in that, that sense of what death brings upon us, some of you are saying, well, I don't feel that anymore. I don't feel that. I'm not afraid of death. What are you talking about, Pastor? There's many of us in the room that when I just described what death does to us, had a different response. Why? Because we've experienced the power of Christ defeating death and fear in our lives, as Hebrews talks about. He came to destroy not only the work of death, but the fear that that brings. And his heart for you and me is mercy. His heart for you and me is forgiveness even when we deserve death. The famous author Max Lucado said it this way, between his hands on the cross, there in the wood, there was a list, a long list, a list of our mistakes, our lust, our lies, and greedy moments in prodigal years. A list of our sins. Listen to what Colossians says about that. It says this, he canceled the record, he canceled that list that contained the charges against us and he took it and he destroyed it by nailing it to the cross. So that when we look at the cross behind me and when we think about Jesus on that cross, we think about 
a sinless, compassionate, loving, merciful, good man. A man who declared that he was not only man, but God. God himself on the cross, taking our lists, our sins. The sins that we talked about lead to death in our life. And he willingly endured the pain, the torture, the cruelty, the suffering, and died for us so that he could rip that list up. To take that list and destroy it forever and redeem us from death. This was his purpose. This was the purpose of the nails. This was the purpose of the pain. This was the purpose of the suffering. It was for you. It's for me. For you and me, he died. To be free? To be forgiven? How do we enter into that place? Very simply, Paul says in Romans, he says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and by the way, we'll talk about that on Sunday, his resurrection, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death, physical and eternal. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As we said at the beginning, he took our anger. He took our rejection. He took our ridicule. He took our mocking. He took our betrayal. He took our abandoning of him. He took our cruelty. He took our self-righteousness. He took our sin. And he died for it on the cross. Isn't that awesome? He saw it in me. He saw it in you. And he went through it all so that we'd be forgiven. I will say, and you can say with me, what a wonderful Savior. As I finish, I would love to read another depiction, not out of the New Testament, but out of the Old Testament, where the prophet Isaiah predicts the coming of this Messiah and describes for us ahead of time what his life will look like and what he'll do for us. I'll read it, and as the worship team comes up, we will sing a song to conclude our service. If you're sitting here tonight, and you're one who has received that salvation, you have believed, you have confessed then this evening for you has been a time of worship and remembering and honor, but it comes with hope that you're not stuck there with Jesus on the cross, but that you have been made alive in him and through him. There might be some in this room tonight that as you end this service with us, that you're on a journey with him. You might have been invited by a friend and you might have, or you might have come because you saw the sign on the, church door or there might be some story in your past or some connection with Jesus that drew you to remember him tonight but you're not quite sure or you haven't been quite sure what he's all about or if you believe my encouragement for you is that God sets divine moments in our life we never know when it's going to be but there are times when God causes life to stand still and he knocks at the door of your heart and he says Is this the day that you're going to open up the door and let me in? I created you. 
I know the hairs on the number of hairs on your head. I know your thoughts. I know where you're going. I know where you're coming from. I know everything about you. I know everything that's good and delightful. I love that about you. I know those secret, shameful places, those places of hurt, those places that you're not proud of. I know everything about you, and I love you. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in, and I'll change your life. I'll change your life. I'll erase the fear. I'll erase the shame. And I'll set you on a new path, a path of deliverance and hope in life. That's what I've found. That's what many in this room have found, and that might be what God wants you to find. What he does want you to find tonight. Would you listen with me again as Isaiah describes this wonderful Messiah? Would you then sing with us this last song? And would we all, in an attitude of reflection and worship, leave here in a place of quietness, of solitude? And may we come back Sunday with expectation in our heart that the rest of the story paints the full picture of what Christ has done. That he didn't just die, but he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death once and for all so that we might be free and experience that resurrection life that he offers us. Listen to Isaiah 53. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought God's saving power would look like The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There wasn't anything attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turned away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried. Our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. He took the punishment. We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way, and God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on Him. On Him. He was beaten. He was tortured. But He didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, He took it all in silence. Justice. Miscarriage. And he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he gave himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life. Life. And more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. 
through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Therefore, I will reward him extravagantly. The best of everything, the highest honors, because he looked death in the face and didn't flinch. Because he embraced the company of the lowest, he took on his shoulders the sins of many. He took up the cause of all the black sheep. 